I'm so thankful that we have a God who wants to go beneath the surface with us. He doesn't want to just leave us at a superficial kind of arm's length relationship. The reason Jesus came was to invite us into relationship, to actually take us from being orphans to being children of the Father. And everything about Christmas is Jesus, the Son of God, becoming a Son of Man so that we, the daughters and sons of men, might become the daughters and sons of God. It's all about reparenting. You know, I was thinking about Thanksgiving, and there's hardly a Thanksgiving when I don't sit down at a plate full of turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and sweet potato casserole and gravy and as few other vegetables as possible because on Thanksgiving I can eat just what I want to and plenty of it. And I always say the same thing. Why do we only have turkey one day a year? But then I have it, I go back for leftovers on Friday and leftovers on Saturday, and by Sunday, I understand why we only do this once a year, because I, I am so tired of turkey. But you know, when I, came to know, when I came to know Jesus Christ, he defied the I'm tired of that category. The more I indulge myself in the presence of God, the more I want more and more and more. I never get my full of all there is for me, what, what is there in front of me in the presence of the Lord. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? That the hunger and the satisfaction, and yet with the satisfaction comes hunger for more, and with the hunger for more comes more, and yet hunger for more, praise God. Uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. This, there are three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all inviting us into intimacy with the Father. Uh, and it's the middle chapter, 6, that we're really focusing on. Chapter 5 introduces us to the Father. After, after the, the great blessings, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, and the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the peacemakers, and uh, the merciful, and the persecuted. Then Jesus said, and let your uh, good deeds be seen by men, so that they might glorify your Father who is in heaven. It all goes back to the Father. Matthew 5, verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. All The entire Sermon on the Mount really summarizing the mission of Jesus is all about cultivating our father-son, father-daughter relationship with the Lord. But then we come to chapter 6. Verse 1, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 4, 
Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse six, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse eight, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse nine, pray then like this, our father in heaven. Verse 14, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Verse 18, your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 26, your heavenly father feeds them Verse 32, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Twelve times in this one chapter, Father, 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 Father. And the, the emphasis moves from the negative of what not to do out of love for the Father in chapter 5. Now in chapter 6, we are given three specific things of what to do. What to do to cultivate our intimacy with the Father. And of all things, the three start out with giving. Isn't it interesting that the first area Jesus gets specific with and gives us practical means of protecting intimacy with the Father, cultivating deeper intimacy with the Father, is giving. Now, I hold in my hands here a theological document. I'm not referring to the Bible, which I usually hold. I'm referring to the checkbook. There is perhaps no more accurate theological document than the checkbook. We all know what a money trail is. Uh, in crime solving, there's always a money trail. In any kind of um, financial issues, there's money trail. And with God, he looks at our money trail. He looks at what we invest in. And the first area that Jesus gives us to cultivate intimacy with the Father is this whole matter of giving. And let me say right up front, it is not that God needs your money, but he wants your heart. And to get your heart, he wants your money. He does. Now the amazing thing about this is God doesn't need the money. The Bible says the silver is, gold, uh, is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. So ultimately, God owns it all. But part of cultivating trust, a reciprocal trust relationship, the first area God goes after is our money because there is perhaps no area in life we worry about more than money. It creates more anxiety, more fretting, more more late nights, early mornings, waking up in the middle of the night, uh, stewing over it during the day, striving for it. Money, 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 money. And it's an area where any good father wants to give mentoring and training to his child. And our God is no different. Now before we dig in any further, the whole context of Matthew 6, which again is giving us three action steps that all of us have 
as gifts so that we can cultivate an intimate, relevant relationship with the Father. It's giving. Next week, we're going to look at the middle one, praying. And then in two weeks, we're going to look at the third one, fasting. These are gifts given to us. But before we get to that, I want to show you a diagram. It's of an iceberg. And I'm going to call this the reparenting iceberg. Now, <clears throat> that iceberg, I want us to understand, for this, the sake of this illustration, that represents you. It represents me. On the top is what's visible. What's underneath the surface is what is invisible. What's above the waterline is what people see. What's beneath the waterline is what God sees. And some of that we see, but a lot of what's underneath the waterline, not even do we see. Now, let's look at this even further. The Bible says that you and I are spirit, soul, and body. Now, above the waterline is body. It's the physical appearance. It's uh, whether we wear glasses or not, whether we have facial hair or not, our size, our basic stature, uh, uh, man, woman, and so forth, the physical side. But beneath the waterline is the soul. We come to that next. It's the mind, will, and emotions. But down even deeper than the soul, down deeper under the waterline is the spirit. It's the spirit where conscience exists. It's the spirit that is born again. When you're born again, it doesn't change your body right away, and it doesn't change your soul right away. What's changed immediately is your spirit. Your spirit is born again. Therefore, it's in your spirit, that's where you hear God in what's now born again. God talks to you in what is already born again, and it's your spirit. It's down there where your motivation lives. It's down there where temptations can come to you. It involves your creativity, your spiritual gifts, the real you flows out of your spirit because it's the real you now that is born again if you're a follower of Christ. And to really know yourself is not to just look in the mirror. That's your physical self. To really know yourself is to know yourself for who you are in Christ. And that is in your spirit, because that's the only part of you that is now in Christ. It's the born-again portion of your life. And it's out of that spirit that's been born again that sanctification flows. It's what changes your, your thinking. But it doesn't start with your thinking. It starts with your spirit. And so the spirit then affects the soul, and the spirit and soul then flow out and affect your body. The culture we live in puts the emphasis in the reverse order. The culture we live in puts the emphasis on the external, on the body, and then 
tries to control the soul through the body, and frankly, the culture we live in completely denies even the existence of the spirit. But God, when he works in us, works in us from the spirit up into the soul and to the body. Where does reparenting take place? Parenting took place in the, in the physical and in the soul. Your parents, that's their influence. Uh, you have a body because your parents, uh, your mother gave birth to you, and your father helped conceive uh, you in the beginning. That's the physical. But God put within you a spirit. And if you're born again, that spirit has now been born again. And it's that spirit where reparenting takes place. And God wants you to live out of your spirit so that decisions you make deep within you, that he is changing your motivations and affecting out of your spirit, your soul, and decisions that affect your body. Now with that kind of framework, without understanding that God wants to go deep, this thing of Christianity is not superficial. It's not just that we're here to be seen by others and we put something in the offering basket because, well, we are here and we ought to put something in. It's not just on a human level. This is not a social club. It's not a social experiment. We are supernatural. God is doing something deep and profound. And to allow God to go deep is to allow God access to something as tangible as a checkbook. Verse two, Matthew chapter six. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Now, um, don't, don't think that the hypocrites would would bring actual trumpets or trombones or bassoons into uh, church to then uh, announce, you know, do, 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 I'm about to give an offering. Uh, that's not exactly how it happened. The offering baskets, however, were, they were like pieces of furniture made out of soldered metal funnels in the shape of trumpets. And the, the, the more important the receptacle uh, and the placement of it would determine the size of it. Some were huge. And, and the wealthier the person, the more coins they would bring to the offering. And they got pretty good at tossing in the offering to hit as many of the funnels as possible, uh, creating like this uh, large clanging uh, gong uh, or chimes that would sound when, when they threw their money in the trumpet. So the more noise they made in giving their offering, the more applause they got from the people. And when wealthy people would come, they would... Um, 
like, draw a crowd. Oh, I want to go hear the noise they make when they give their offering. And when, when poorer people would come and put in their little offering, uh, they, you know, kind of the crowd would, would go their way or have side conversation. No one would pay any attention. As if the, the more noise you would make for people to hear, the better your offering. Does anybody uh, seem like there's something wrong with that picture? But in, in many ways, we can be tempted in the same way. Uh, there is a, a, a sick desire sometimes in us to want to make a lot of noise by our offering. We want it to be acknowledged by uh, certain people. Now, it's interesting. I've been in many African contexts where metal offering plates were used. And this also happens in Europe today. In Romania, this is the case. They have metal offering uh, plates, and no one wants to put in coins because it makes noise. So they all go and get as many uh, bills as possible, even if the bills aren't worth much, but to put a big wad of, of bills in the offering so as to not make noise, because if it made noise, they would be known as putting pittance in, whereas if it's a silent gift and a big wad that's left in the plate, oh. So not drawing attention draws more attention in Europe and in some African contexts today. But it's the same issue. The issue is how my offering is received by people. That's the context here. When I was in Japan a number of years ago, I visited a Buddhist temple. And believe it or not, they had the same thing. They had an offering receptacle that was almost the size as half of our platform. And it had all these brass bars so that when the rich guys would come, they'd like throw it like, I don't know, dice at Las Vegas or something, but they'd throw it and hit all the bars. Like, oh, and then people, oh. And these poor people would come up and put in a little bit and everybody, oh. And then a rich guy would come up and spray it again, oh. It was unbelievable, but it was the same thing. It wasn't like shaped like cones or uh, trumpets, but it was a noise-making offering moment to make a lot of noise. Why? Maybe to impress people, maybe to uh, earn something from God. But it's exactly what Jesus was trying to remove from the equation for us. So that when we give, listen to what he says on the positive. Well, just one second. The end of verse 2 is the most heartbreaking statement of all. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Ah. 
How pitiful. And what did they receive? A moment of applause. What in the world? They received the reward. They settled for too little. Now, what does Jesus suggest? Verse three. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Now, either God is real or he's not. Either God knows our hearts or he doesn't. Either the God who calls us to give $100 for every $1,000 we earn, either he is our provider and he's having us give back to him so that we put our trust that much more in him, or he doesn't. Either he's real or he isn't. Either he's accurately saying, when you pray, say, Father. Either Father is to mean everything to us or it means nothing. Either God is a God big enough to give us today our daily bread or he isn't. And so he gives us a theological document and says to us, test me. Go ahead, test me. Put your trust in me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you won't be able to contain it. Test me. I, I'm either who I say I am and I am your provider, or I'm not. You see, Jesus is forcing our hand with this one. He wants to go deep. He doesn't need our money, he wants our heart. He wants to thaw out the iceberg of reparenting. So from the deepest part of our being, he can stake a claim on what our treasure really is in our heart of hearts so that he can prove that we value him above anything this world can provide. Hallelujah. Verse 4, it includes this phrase that's repeated for each of these three disciplines. It's true of giving, it's true of praying, it's true of fasting. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God wants you to enjoy the reward of reparenting. He wants you to enjoy the gift of giving. The secret of your heart relationship with the Father. 
is the secret things you do with the Father. And the first secret thing that God invites you into is the stewardship of your financial resources. If you have this, you have more to steward. If you have this, you're still a steward. And God wants to prove himself your provider. And the issue is, will you trust him? Will you trust him enough to give in secret? To give from what you have in secret? Some lavish gifts before the end of the year. If you're married, get with your spouse. Honey, what can we give a secret gift to? Let's do something secret. Let's do something secret and extravagant. Once in a while, Sherry and I give a gift that we don't, we know that it will not be able to put, to be put on our tax return that year. We just want to give that we don't get anything back for. No one else needs to know. Why would you do that? Why would anyone give their hard-earned money in a day when there's so much financial insecurity in our culture? Why would anyone do that? Because they know the Father. Now, don't misunderstand for one second. This is not earning a relationship with the Father. Let me make that perfectly clear. You don't ever give uh, sums of money to God, to the church, to any other ministry, hoping to earn God's favor. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those of us who have received eternal life. We are right with God. We're, we're, we're good with God. We're his children, and we don't have to do anything to earn it, and we can't improve on that. Jesus has done it all, and we're born again. But as children, we have the stockpile of inheritance in Christ, and we don't want anything less than that. And when it comes to the reward, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you, just dwell on that a moment. How's he going to reward you? Well, my Bible doesn't answer that question. When's he going to reward you? It doesn't even answer that question. Oh, I could give 25 things that will improve when you give to God. I, I could do that. But I think we cheapen it. Even with a good illustration, I think we cheapen it. Just let it sit for what it is. It's good enough for me. I'd rather not know. I'd rather not know when it's going to come. Just being able to trust him and him to trust me enough to give me something, whether it's here or here, to steward 
for his purposes, that's enough for me. Hallelujah. Um, those serving the Lord's Supper, if you would uh, get the plates and get ready, get in position to serve us. This morning we want to end this service by reminding us that uh, it's not the size of the offering. It's, frankly, in, in, Jesus seemed to say it's the size of the offering in, in ratio to what we've got. I guess I would end this morning with a good word from Luke 21. It's one of my favorite moments in the life of Jesus captured in the Gospels. It's one that I've sat and just sat over more than most. It's when Jesus was watching what people put in the offering basket. I love this picture of Jesus. Now, he watched the guys come, the professional givers who made all the trumpets sound. And then he watched a, a woman put in barely like a quarter penny, not even a penny, when, when people were yawning at her offering. Jesus said, hey, I want everyone's attention. This woman, while you were yawning, unimpressed, this woman put in more than those rich cats because they gave out of their plenty, but this woman gave out of her poverty, and she gave more than the rest put together today. That's the picture. God, break us from settling for cheesy rewards when you've called us to rewards from heaven. Get beneath the waterline with me, Lord. Thank you that you want access to my checkbook. Thank you that when I'm born again, everything is within arm's reach for you. Lord, I just see you taking off old rags of bad habits and giving. And I see you stirring within us uh, some good desires for some extravagant giving toward the end of this year. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Speak to us. Show us creative ways to give, quiet ways to give, to leave the results with you, but to know that you can do anything through a little. You can feed an army with a kid's peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
Thank you that you reparent us. Take us deeper in this season. In Jesus' name.